0: Well, hello. Good morning. Um, After a build-up like that, there's only one way a sermon's going to go, and that's (laughs) downhill. No, no, no. It'll be absolutely fine, I'm sure. Um, As Philip says, my name's Andy. I'm based in the offices. I've been there for about two years. Over that time, it has been an absolute privilege and a joy to get to know many of you um, to partner together in what you guys are doing here. It's been a very exciting time seeing what God's doing amongst King's Church and... Let me tell you, I'm so excited about the next, well, particularly 12 months. I think it's going to be an absolutely incredible time for the church. Um, So I'm very, very excited about that. Now, if you're visiting here this morning, like myself, then I hope you've had a really nice welcome so far. Uh, But it's probably worth you guys knowing that uh, King's Church have just started a series of talks called Perspective Live for the Day. And they're going through a uh, letter in the Bible called 1 Peter. It's written by Guy, one of Jesus' disciples, called Peter. And, uh, and Peter's written to Christians all across Europe, and he's telling them to get their perspective straight. He's calling them to, to change how they live here and now because of the future that is to come. Or to put it another way, live now as the person you'll be in the future. And last week, Philip spoke to us about our perspective on holiness. If you didn't hear that, then you can catch that up on the downloads on the podcast. And this week, we're going to be looking at... Changing our perspective about our capacity to love one another. So what we're looking at this morning, a very nice, nice topic, I think. Um, and in the passage um, that we're going to look at today, Peter is going to compare two lives. He's going to compare the life that every, that every person who was ever born was born to with the life that every Christian has been reborn to. And we'll come back to that phrase reborn later on. But he's going to say that all of us were born to a life that was perishing and passing, and that Christians have been reborn to a life that is imperishable and permanent. And he says, because of that, a Christian's capacity to love one another should be bigger and stronger than any other love in the world. And I know that is quite a claim, but that is genuinely what I think he's saying. So here's the big perspective shift this morning. King's Church. You're invited to be a community whose love is unlimited because the source of your reborn lives is unlimited. You're a church that's invited to have a love that's unlimited because the source of your reborn lives is unlimited. Now, when I grew up in New Malden, just down the road, my dad was out most Friday and Saturday nights because even though my dad was a mild civil servant by day, he was a DJ extraordinaire by night, He'll come up on the screen. There he is. My dad's the one on the right there. Um, my dad, every Friday and Saturday night, would pack up our estate car with so much kit, it would make the King's Church setup look quite frankly pathetic. And within that, his most important bit of kit was his suitcase full of records. He would have chosen a number of records through the evening. He would have known to get the people up and dancing. He needed things like "Agadoo" and the Time Warp. And for the young lovers of New Malden and the surrounding area, they needed things like Endless Love and, of course... Kylie and Jason's especially for you. So my dad would fill up his suitcase full of records. And that meant throughout the evening, my dad was limited to the number of records he could choose. The number of tracks were in this suitcase. And that's what he could choose throughout the evening. Now imagine, if you will, going back to 1983, Keith Chevalier, and presenting him with a smartphone and Spotify. Now for those of you who don't know, Spotify is a music app on the internet. It has access to millions of songs. Now if my dad had that, he would be a fool to go to his suitcase full of records. That's limited. Spotify, with its pretty much unlimited music collection, my dad could choose whatever records he wants. My dad's music collection could be unlimited because the source of his music collection is unlimited. And that's what Peter has said has happened to those who have been reborn. Their newfound capacity for life is unlimited. Therefore, King's Church love unlimited. The passage we're going to look at today is from 1 Peter 1. It's on page 1014, if you've got one of these church Bibles. And we're going to start at verse 22, and we're going to go into chapter 2, verse 3. It says this, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. So the theme of this morning's passage is that of love, and love specifically within the church, love specifically of Christians. Now I can see that because in verse 22, he starts with this, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, that's Peter's longhand way of saying, when you believe Jesus and you followed him, your soul was made totally clean. You became a Christian. So he's he's addressing it to Christians for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So it's about Christians and how they can love one another. It's good to have our perspective challenged and changed about love. See, love is very good for us. Individually, love enables us to enjoy life. When we experience love, we release the hormone oxytocin. And oxytocin enables us to heal quicker. It lowers our blood pressure. It even helps our digestion. So it's good for us individually. But obviously, love is good for us as a community as well. Love enables us to trust one another, to forgive one another, to be generous towards each other, to sacrifice, to put people first, to connect with one another. But most importantly, the Bible says that God is love. That's why Jesus says his community will be a people who are marked out by a community who love one another. So as we increase our capacity to love one another this morning, we are becoming more like God. So these Christians all across Europe have started well. Peter says they have a sincere love for each other. They care about each other. They're affectionate towards each other. They know how each other are getting on, how their weeks have been, how their church mate's elderly mum is doing, how their kids are doing in school. They know when each other's birthdays are, and when that day comes, in their offices, they buy a whopping great big present. Incidentally, mine's next week. And that's where we start. The love we have for each other has to be genuine. It has to be sincere. It has to be authentic. It's great to come here on a Sunday and to really enjoy the worship, to have a great time at the early bird coffee, to have some of Andy Voice's cakes. That is fantastic. But that is just part of what we do. It's not who we are. We're the church. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have to authentically, genuinely love each other. And even from the outside, I see that all the time. There was a lot of hugging and kissing going on this morning. I don't know if you noticed that. Grown men hugging other grown men, old and young, greeting each other, finding out how each other's weeks have been, how their mornings been. Looking out for someone who hasn't got someone to sit with in the morning and so saying, yeah, come and sit with me. It's my observation, King's Church, that you are a community that is good at this. You sincerely love one another. But Peter goes a huge step further. He says... Having loved each other sincerely now progress to loving each other earnestly. Now, when I first read that, I thought, is there a big difference between sincere love and earnest love? I mean, love's love, right? So I had a quick search through the New Testament and I looked up this word, earnest, to see where else it might be used and what we can learn about. It's context there to see what Peter means by earnest love. There's only two other times it's used in the whole New Testament. And both of those times are at incredibly passionate, passionate and emotional moments. I'll tell you about one of them now. Imagine, if you will, that you were part of the very first church in Jerusalem. And things were getting a bit hairy for you as Christians. You knew it was particularly dangerous because one of Jesus' disciples, James, the brother of John, had just been executed for being a Christian. And now your church leader, Peter, had been arrested, had been taken away, put in prison, and he's awaiting trial. To the church call a prayer meeting. To help you to tap into that feeling a little bit, let me tell you a story. A few years ago, I went on a holiday with my, um, with my wife, Jo, and we stayed with Joe's family friends, a couple called Steve and Joy. And Steve and Joy said to us, when we were out there in South Africa, and I'm aware there's some South Africans very nearby on striking distance, so I'll be careful as I say this, but they said to me, um, they said, the one thing you have to get used to living in South Africa is that from time to time, People are going to try and rob you. (laughs) And the reason they could say that with some authority is that on three occasions they were robbed. And the first was the most brutal. They had just put their kids to bed. They had come downstairs. They were having a glass of wine around the table. Another great thing to do in South Africa. And, uh, And these armed men came over their electric fence and into their house. And they bound Steve's wrists. They bound Joy's wrists. They bound Steve's legs and left him on the dining room floor and they took joy off around the house to point out the expensive items around the house. Now, Steve's a Christian. Can you imagine what characterized Steve's prayers as he lay on the floor worried about his wife and his children upstairs? Can you imagine what characterized that early church prayer meeting worried about Peter in prison? It says this in Acts 12:5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made to God. the church. I imagine that was a desperately passionate prayer meeting. It didn't matter if you could find a babysitter or not. It didn't matter if a worship leader was arranged. You'd be there desperately pleading to God against every human realm of possibility for the safe release of your church leader, Peter. Unrelenting, unlimiting, not giving up, earnest. That passion that describes their prayers that night should describe your love For one another. It's more than just sincere love. It's more than just care and affection. Now, this is earnest love, full of zeal and passion, desperation. And Peter is saying to the church, love each other like that. Love for the people in this room like that. Love the people you're sitting next to right now like that. And you can smile nervously, but inside you can be thinking, Yeah, but Peter, you don't know the people I'm sitting next to. Love like that for the people in my life group. Getting through an evening with them is hard enough. Love for the people like that in my team. Love, earnest love for that person in the church who was saying those things behind my back. Peter, you just don't understand my situation. The thing is, the audience of Peter's letter, the first audience, would have had social problems much worse than if there are any in King's church. So the the New Testament church had severe social problems. It was rife with racism for a start. You had different cultures and people groups who for generations have been segregated, been at war, and they were clashing together, coming together on a Sunday morning, trying to work out how to worship Jesus. You read through Acts and you see there's so much animosity in the church. That's why Peter has to say, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, because they were on display. The early church had so many social problems, and yet Peter still calls them and calls us to love earnestly, deeply, passionately, relentlessly, not giving up. So how? How do we love like that? How do we progress to loving earnestly from the heart? Well, Peter's answer is that the limit of our love is totally dependent on the source, on the limited source of our life. He says everybody was born to a life that was limited, but Christians have been reborn to a life that is unlimited. He says, stop living like it's 1983 and you've got a suitcase full of records. Live like it's 2016 and you've got Spotify. Peter identifies two characteristics of this limited suitcase full of life that we're all born to. It's perishing and it's passing. In verse 23 it says this, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable So what's the first thing we learn about the life we were born to? It's perishing. It's not lasting. It's wasting away. It's got a number of tracks, and then it runs out. And ultimately, the lives we lead, they're perishing. We will perish. We will die. And that idea is written right into our biggest expression of love. Weddings, marriages. It's right there in the vows. I'll love you till death do us part. I will love you till the day I die, and then I won't love you anymore. Celine Dion was wrong back in 1997. She said her, she believed that the heart will go on. Or tell that to Jack, who's sinking with the Titanic to the bottom of the ocean. He's not loving Rose anymore. But it's not just the ultimate things of life that are perishing. It's every single aspect of it. You get the same feeling when you're on holiday. Now, Holidays are fantastic. Philip was telling me about his honeymoon just a few weeks ago, and he was saying he was sitting on the beach in front of a beautiful ocean, and there was a fellow's job to come and bring him a nice cold beer. That sounds pretty good to me. He loved that experience. He loved his holiday. But a few days later, he was back in the office with me, Jenny, and Rachel. He's lucky to get a cup of tea. That feeling of love, you just can't hold on to it anymore. It's perishing. Does that make sense? The life you're born to is perishing, and therefore every aspect of it is perishing. It's limited, and therefore everything about it is limited. The life we're born to is a suitcase full of records, and it's coming to an end. Therefore, everything about it is coming to an end. And if you think that's not depressing enough, Peter gets worse. He says, the life we're born to isn't just perishing, but it's also passing, will soon be forgotten. He quotes an Old Testament prophet, a guy called Isaiah, who said this, all flesh is like grass and all its glory, all its greatest achievements are like the flowers of the grass. Well, that's actually quite a nice image. That is us in 2016 being a beautiful meadow and all the best things we can offer are like the flowers that spring up in this meadow. The grass withers and the flower falls. Great. Thanks, Pete. First of all, I'm perishing, and now I'm passing into obscurity, into insignificance. I'm compost. We're about to come into Wimbledon tennis season. I love Wimbledon tennis season, and you'll notice at the the first few matches uh, of the tournament, the baselines are these beautiful lawns. That's us right now in 2016. But if you look two weeks later, when Andy Murray is playing Djokovic in the final, The lawn is reduced to this dry mud. That's us in the future. We're passing. We're a number of tracks. We're limited. And on top of that, our best achievements, our greatest achievements, all that we can offer are passing as well. Even our greatest technologies. That's hard for me to say because although you may not know me personally, some of you, Uh, All of you, if you've been around for Kings, will know some of my work, you see, because I have a mantra in the office, and that's I want Kings Church to be a church that loves technology. And so I force technology on you at every opportunity. But let me say this brace yourselves, it's going to be hard for you to hear. My church app will not be around forever. (laughs) iPhones won't be around forever. The internet won't be around forever. The grass withers, the flower falls. How can Peter say that with such conviction? Well, I think it's because he's been looking back over 2,000 years of Israel's history, and he sees Israel was opposed by these great, glorious powers. They were opposed by the Egyptians, and the Egyptians fell. They were opposed by the Syrians, and they were destroyed. They were opposed by the Assyrians. They were opposed by the Babylonians, the Medes, and the Persians, and now the Romans. And Peter never saw the end of the Roman Empire. We have. In fact, I used to live in Canterbury, and there's a, uh, there's a brilliant Canterbury Museum. And you go through this museum, you see these incredible things about Canterburyum and how beautiful it was. The, uh, there it is, the theatre and the, the Roman baths, the houses, it looks the temple looks absolutely amazing, better than it is now, let me tell you that. And then you get to the end of the museum, and the last image you get right by the door is an image of Canterburyum in its heyday next to the image of just a few hundred years later where the Anglo-Saxons have invaded and what they've left it to. And it's just rubble. The Anglo-Saxons didn't care about houses. They lived in tents. They wanted to grow things in the ground. All the glory of Canterbury in its heyday has passed. So just think right now, what's your greatest achievement? What's your legacy? How important is it to you? Because According to Peter and according to Isaiah, it's passing. It's all got to waste away. It's just a number of tracks. It's limited. But the whole point of this series is for us to get perspective. And Peter's perspective has changed. He no longer thinks of his life like that. In fact, he thinks he's been reborn to a new life. Now, the Bible speaks in all sorts of different metaphorical ways about what it means to become a Christian. And the term born again can be particularly controversial. I don't know if you've had the experience that I've had where you're chatting to somebody and they mention that they go to church and you say, oh, are you a Christian? And they say, no, I'm a born again Christian. And then they levitate away. It can be slightly unnerving, that term born again, because it's been used in lots of different contexts by lots of different people, and it sounds weird. But let me tell you this, the first hearer of that concept also found it weird. See, Peter's borrowing this phrase from a conversation he's overheard Jesus having with a guy called Nicodemus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, "No one can see God's kingdom unless he's born again." And Nicodemus says, "What? He actually says, "I have to get back in my mother's womb to see God's kingdom." And Jesus says, "No, no, no. You need to be born of water, i.e. physically born, and then you need to be born again of God's spirit." to get into God's kingdom. So Peter's chosen this phrase, born again, because his whole argument is about the birth, the source, the origin of these newborn lives. Because if the lives you were born to were limited, you could only love limited. But if the source of your reborn life is unlimited, you can love unlimited. And Peter says two things about the life that Christians have been reborn to. He says they're imperishable and they're permanent. So back in verse 23, it says, Since you've been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. See, if there's something about that first life that we were all born to, it it was that it was perishable. It was always doomed to failure. The seed, the very origin of it was perishable. But our reborn life is originated by imperishable seed. Now that means that even though our physical life will perish, will pass, our spiritual life will go on. You will go on. That means the love I have in my heart now is able to exist in eternity. So in a series called Perspective, Live for the Day, we can hear Peter's encouragement to tell us love today because it's just not a short-lived act. But because you're investing in your eternal destination, and becoming closer to who you will be forever. The love you feel for each other now, you will feel in eternity. Your love will go on. In short, I've come to believe Celine Dion was right. So that affects how I live now. It's not just about limited. It's not short-term. Get perspective. It's not a suitcase full of records. It's Spotify. It's not about limitations because it is unlimited. And the second thing we learn about this life that we're born to is that it's permanent. Verse 23 goes on to say, You have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. And then verse 25, The word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So this new imperishable seed is abiding and will remain forever. But did you notice that key phrase, what produced it? It's the word of God and the word of the Lord. I and mean, what does Peter mean by the word of God? I mean, that seems pretty important to me. It's the beginning and the forever continuing of our reborn lives. Now, the commentators tell it could be three things. Tell us it could be three things. It could be the Bible. The Bible. We often refer to this as God's Word, so it could be the Bible, it could be the message that a Christian has heard when they, when they first decided to follow Jesus, or it could be thirdly, it could be shorthand for the power of God. And what we're going to do now is we're just going to take those three things, we're going to see what we think. So the first one, the, the first answer, the Bible. Well, that makes sense, because the Bible could be what Peter's referring to as the Word of God, the Word of the Lord, because it's been around for thousands of years For two millennia, people in different cultures and different times have found it speaking and relevant exactly to their lives. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Many people have tried to get rid of the Bible, but it seems like it's going to be around for as long as people are. In fact, there was a Roman um, emperor called Diocletian who aimed to eradicate the Bible. There he is, handsome chap. Now, he had all the Bibles he could find gathered up and burnt. He also had a nice chap as well. He had all the Christians who were found reading the Bibles, they were also executed. But guess what? Diaclich and withered, the word of the Lord remained forever. There was also the 18th century Voltaire, he predicted, the 18th century philosopher Voltaire, he predicted that within a hundred years of his death, the Bible would be obsolete. In actual fact, within 50 years of his death. The Geneva Bible Society bought his old house, used his old printing press to print thousands of Bibles. It's a bit smug on their part, I thought. But it proves the point. The flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. That's the first one, the Bible. The secondly, could the word of God be the word of the Lord is the preach or the message that Christians heard when they decided to follow Jesus? Well, that seems to make sense as well, because verse 25 continues, the word of the... the word is the good news that was preached to you. In other words, it's the truth proclaimed about Jesus on your behalf, that he gives us right standing in front of God, that he restores our relationship with our Father in heaven, that he gives us the full approval of God. That's why week after week somebody stands up here and proclaims what Jesus has done, because that is the good news message of God. That is God's good news plan, and there'll never be another one so long as we live that's all there is, one gospel. So it could be that that lasts forever. Or thirdly, the word of the Lord is the power of God. Now this may, seems to make sense as well because Peter, remember, is quoting from Isaiah. Now Isaiah isn't talking about the Bible. The Bible had not been finished yet. Isaiah doesn't seem to be speaking about a particular message. But he seems to be saying that it doesn't matter what disasters come. God's plans, God's purposes, God's will will still be done because there's no power that can come up against God and win. And this idea that of the word of God being shorthand for the power of God is a theme that occurs all the way through the Bible. Right back in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, it says, God said, let there be light and there was light. It doesn't say you'll notice. God said, let there be light and then he went away and he made the light and then he put the light there. Now it says God said, let there be light, and whatever needed to happen, happened for there to be light. God's word, God saying it, made it happen. Or later in Genesis, carry on a few chapters through the Bible, there's an old woman called Sarah, and she's questioning, can she really be pregnant? She just found out she's pregnant. She's like, is this really true because I'm so old? And God says to her, nothing will be impossible for God. And actually, that could be that's what it says in our Bibles. It could be equally be translated, nothing will be impossible for the Word of God. You skip thousands of years ahead in the Bible and you come across a virgin girl who says the same thing. Hang on, how can I be pregnant? And the angel says to her, because nothing will be impossible for God. Again, it could equally be translated, nothing will be impossible for the Word of God. So those are our three options. The word of the Lord that Peter's referring to could be the Bible, could be the message that you heard when you became a Christian, it could be um, it could be the power of God. You know what answer I think it is? I think it's all three. Because all three are utterly and totally dependent on one person, Jesus. This Jesus whom the whole Bible is about, this Jesus whom all church preaching is about, This Jesus, who another disciple said, is the word, the power of God that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. It's all about this Jesus who is living and abiding and will remain forever. The Christian's new life, our reborn lives are produced and made permanent by him. This is why the resurrection is so important. Because if Jesus stayed dead, He can't be the source of your new permanent life. But because he was raised from the dead and because he is alive now, he is the source of permanent life in us. And so now Peter is saying, because Jesus has produced a reborn permanent life in us, we can now love earnestly, permanently, unendingly. You couldn't love like this before because your life was limited. Now your life is unlimited. You can love unlimited. So when we feel like we've come to the end of our capacity to love, when we feel like we can't love again, when we feel like I can't forgive again, I can't serve again, I can't trust again, when we feel like I can't worship God again, When we come here on a Sunday morning, we hear encouragement to give our time, our resources, our energy to this community. And we feel like, you know what, I've just come to the end of my suitcase. Then Jesus is here to provide for us new power, new strength and new energy for this reborn life. He will restore and exceed your capacity to love. So let's ask him. Let's ask him for strength. Ask him for what you need. Just as we come to a close, what should this love look like? Well, funnily enough, I think it should look a lot like Jesus' love. See, there was a second time in the Bible that that word earnest was used. I told you about the first time with reference to Peter, but the second time is this. Jesus is praying the night before he died. He's desperately scared and he's alone. And it says this in Luke 22, Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. See, Jesus' earnest love for you meant he stood in the garden and contemplated his own torture and death. Jesus' earnest love for you meant he sweated drops like great blood as he thought of becoming a sacrifice for all the wrong things that you and I have done to each other and done towards God. There's no act Jesus wouldn't have done for you. There's no length he would not have gone to to win you. His love for you is unlimited, unending, never dying, never perishing, never passing, never failing. It's never failing because it's true now. It's never passing because his love is eternal. It's never perishing because he's raised back to life. And it's never dying because he will never die again. He has earnest love for you. And this is how our love towards each other should be characterized. Exactly the same love as we've received. So let me ask you this this morning. Do you know that you are loved? So you may have heard a thousand sermons, words like Jesus loves you just rolls off your back. You may be hearing something like this for the first time. Let me say this as clearly as I can. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus earnestly loves you. If you want to know how to be demonstrators of that love, you need to be a recipient of it, to be enjoyers of it. Your worlds need you to know how much you are earnestly loved. If this King's Church community is going to be full of earnest love, generous, radically sacrificial, utterly compelling, and a delight to be a part of, then you need to know how much you're earnestly loved. If the church is going to be a community that makes a mockery of gossip, encourages the downtrodden, serves the poor, upholds families, trumpets marriage, if you're going to put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy, envy and all slander, as this passage goes on to say, then you need to know how earnestly you are loved. Beyond that, if the church is going to be a hope to the Kingston community, to refugees, to parentless children, to an aging population, to children in need of education that doesn't crush their self-esteem, then we need to know this unending, unrelenting, sacrificial, victorious, earnest love of Jesus. So do you know that you're loved? we're going to do two things now that's going to help us to receive that love. One, we're going to take communion together and Philip in a few moments is going to lead us through that. We're going to remind ourselves of the outrageous act of love that Jesus did on our behalf because he is love and because he loves us. Secondly, we're also going to worship Jesus because as we do, we spend time in his presence. And as we spend time in his presence, we can ask him for his love us, to show us his love. We can experience his love. And we can ask him for strength to show his love to this community. So can I ask you to stand? Can I ask the band to come and join me? And if you feel comfortable, can I just ask you to close your eyes? If you're struggling right now, if you need earnest love right now, if you're lacking right now, then join me in turning our attention to Jesus. He's here. He has unlimited love for you. If you've messed up, if you think you're outside God's love and he's eyeing you with anger and frustration right now, turn your attention to Jesus. He took all the full anger of God so there is nothing left but earnest love for you. If you're here this morning and you're feeling guilty because of all the things you feel like you should be doing, you should have done to show God's love to people in this room, to those part of this community, to those not yet in it, take your attention off yourself. Fix your attention on Jesus. Don't even try and earnestly love until you know you're earnestly loved. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is bursting with earnest love for you. If you don't know this Jesus, let me say this again as clearly as I can. He is bursting with earnest love for you. For those of you that do know that, who are delighting in Jesus, who are delighting in all Jesus has accomplished for you, let's ask Him to give us new strength to these reborn lives. There is the love of Jesus to be shown to the people in this room, to those yet to come in. Let's delight in his love for us and in loving people the same. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Let's fix our eyes on that word of God, Jesus. Let's praise and worship him. And as we do, let's receive his love for us.